Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hey friends, have you noticed that no matter how much yoga we do, we still may struggle in our intimate relationships. Yoga can and does help, but at a certain point, you need more relational practices and support from trusted allies. My husband and I have a wonderful marriage, but we're not necessarily the best relationship teachers. In episode 315, I brought on the founders of the Relationship School, Jason and Ellen. They live and breathe all things relational, boundaries, conflict, owning your needs, attachment styles, and so much more. If you want to learn how to work through conflict better and communicate better, Jason is offering 50% off his Indestructible Partnerships course. Thousands of people have changed their relationships for the better with this course. Go to Relationships School slash Laura and use the coupon code Laura to get 50% off this life-changing course. Now back to the podcast. Welcome to Wednesday Q&A, where you guys asked the questions and we answered. I'm always delighted to have my fabulous co-host, Kristen Williams, physical therapist, lit senior teacher extraordinaire with me. Hey, Laura. Hey, everybody. So happy to be here. Yeah, lots of great questions as always. Today, we'll start off with Jessica Hensley. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit more about synovial fluid. I have a lot of students with osteoarthritis And I'll speak often about the importance of movement to help keep the joints hydrated along with maintaining mobility and strength. One of them asked me the other day if the amount of synovial fluid our bodies produce diminishes with age and the research I did didn't give me a clear answer. Is there any correlation between how well synovial fluid flows to a joint and reduced cartilage breakdown? Just curious. You know, this is interesting right now. I'm I'm pulling up some information that I was looking up when I was working on our 300 hour working, uh, looking at osteoarthritis. And I was impressed and kind of fascinated to discover that. So osteoarthritis is linked to aging, but aged cartilage is different than cartilage that has osteoarthritis. So, you know, this is, it's a disease in and of itself, uh, which I, which I found fascinating and I'll see if I can't pull it up where it really delineates how, you know, yes, synovial fluid, when we, we talk about synovial fluid, that's, it's produced by the synovial lining and it's like your WD-40 of your joints. 
And it does, it lubricates that cartilage. But the change that occurs with arthritis is different in the synovial fluid, but more different in the cartilage, if you will. So I think that's where we see more change. With an arthritic joint, we may see overproduction of synovial fluid as opposed to with an aged joint, we might see underproduction where there, so we don't see that, that swelling. So, you know, it's the body is so fascinating in how it responds to both trauma, aging. You know, as a rule, when we think when stuff ages, it becomes less fluid. There is, you know, decreased our skin, our, you know, just our general soft tissues have less fluidity to them, less elasticity as we age. And that is true of cartilage, but a little bit different. So um, what do you have to say about that? I'm going to scroll and see if I can't find that. Yeah, well, I was going to say the similar thing. Like, it's interesting how, so my mom is, has an osteoarthritic knee and she's going to get it replaced. And I was explaining to her, encouraging her to go ahead and get it done sooner than later. And what I said is, you know, when you have osteoarthritis, the cartilage is worn down. It's not just aged. It's actually like like shaven away, essentially. You know, it's really worn down so that there's no more of that wonderful kind of hyaline cartilage like that covers the bone that makes movement smooth and, and silky. You know, we don't even know when we're bending down. Sometimes we click and clack and make noise. But when you don't have that cartilage there, it sounds like a clunk. It's not smooth. It's not really safe because you don't have the protective qualities that cartilage also gives you. It cushions the joint. It gl- allows the bone to glide. And when you don't have that, just like if you didn't, like if you, you were shifting gears and you're kind of in the wrong, trying to get in reverse and you haven't done the like whatever your car, if you've ever, if you haven't driven stick, you're not going to know what I'm talking about. But it's that guided movement. And and then what happens is like like Kristen was mentioning, the body, the joint space is short, is smaller because you don't have that filled up with the cartilage. So your body has figured out like, hey, wait, that joint space is smaller. I'm going to maybe make it more puffy to try and open up the space. So it actually creates too much synovial fluid. So you get a lot. That's why osteoarthritic knees are really, they feel very squishy and there's like like lots of fluid in there. And it's like the body is really trying to compensate for that loss of joint space. Because when you have a loss of joint space, you have decreased motion, you have loss of stability because your range of motion isn't as great because you don't have that wonderful glide of the cartilage. So in that case, there's like an overproduction of the synovial fluid because the body, again, is trying hard to help you out. But it basically ends up just swelling you so it doesn't feel so great. Whereas synovial fluid, when it's when it's in a normal joint, uh, that hasn't been had damage to it, it cushions it. It's like a it's an, it, like she said, it's like the gliding fluid. And it's when I mean, every day is almost like a cycle of life in a way, because you wake up in the morning and we all tend to feel a little bit creakier, not as smooth. And what happens when you start moving around? You start rolling your shoulders, you start reaching, you start moving you get more fluid. And that's your synovial fluid kind of coming and replenishing with movement. That's why movement is really essential for keeping the synovial joints happy. 
the biggest joints of movement in our body are synovial joints. They're not cartilaginous joints. They're not these other types of joints. They are synovial. And that really gives us an indication of their their purpose, the biomechanical purpose. So yeah, add on to that. Definitely. And then, you know, I think when you talk about that movement of synovial joints, that's where the stability of of the synovial joints matters too. And, and, And so like you're talking about, when you start to get that joint incongruity, with an arthritic knee, we also will see a change because that space gets smaller, the ligaments are more lax. So you have a more unstable joint, which becomes problematic. And so, you know, my biggest thing with, uh, and, and I did find that I can spear that stuff out really quickly here, but the biggest thing that I found with patients who have osteoarthritis is trying to get pressure off of those joint services is your main goal because then you're not irritating that space, which is causing that, like you said, that overproduction of the synovial fluid. And real quick, like so I just found this really fascinating. When you're looking at cartilage, so simply aged cartilage has less water, but osteoarthritic cartilage has a higher water content. And that's that swelling we're talking about. And then the organization of the collagen, it's not really changed by aging, but it becomes disorganized with osteoarthritis. So you're dealing with the collagen in the cartilage itself it's able to resist deformation better when it's aged because it's not disorganized. So there's all these things we have to think about when we're looking at the cartilage of an arthritic joint. So the best thing to what you're saying, Laura, is moving in other areas, in other joints, so you can get pressure off of that arthritic spot and just allow that. Because what, what, you know, what do they do? They, they inject hyaline cartilage. Those injections work really well in the short term of providing that lubrication that is lost at the joint, but it only goes so far. And eventually people usually end up, when you get to that higher grade of osteoarthritis, have, you know, having the joint replacement. But as long as you can put it off by creating better movement in other areas and getting pressure off, the better off you are. Yeah, absolutely. With my mom, I mean, she's been able to put it off for a number of years. And I worked with her on what? Squats, working hip mobility, really getting stronger in her glutes because she needs those hips to be moving well because her knees were less stable and yeah, less functional. But she is going to get her knee replacement. Yay. Yay. That was a great question. That is a great question. All right. Another one from Carolyn, another one of our lit teachers, Carolyn Brown. She has a student that has cervicodisc arthrosis at C6, C7. Anything that could help her pain on her right side of her neck. Dun, da, da. I know. Well, and again, when we're talking about arthritis, we tend to talk about, especially in the spinal joints, you have that wear away. Of, so you have the discs that get a little thinner. So arthritis, especially in the spine, is a combination of degenerative disc disease and degenerative joint disease. That's kind of like the two hallmark pillars of arthritis. And so you're, you have less space because the disc degenerates, and then you have increased bony spurs, which is again, the body's response to that abnormal pressure is to build bone to try to stabilize. When you have that less space, you know, the ligaments, they get more lax. So the body's trying to stabilize. And so I found with, in the same vein as the knees, you know, when you're looking at the neck, we're going to bring it back to posture. We want to get pressure as much as we can off of that area by maybe opening up the back, 
uh, we're going to, we're going to be looking at range of motion, flexibility. You know, why are they putting the pressure on the same areas, whether it's facet joint arthropathy, whether it's stenosis, there's different, multiple different types of arthritis in any area, but especially the spine. We really want to look at that person as a whole because they're experiencing the symptoms in their neck and arm, but what's going on elsewhere? You know, can we improve their mobility, improve their strength away from that site and, you know, see how it affects the symptoms down the arm? Because most likely if the person is having symptoms down the arm, it's because they're having some foraminal compression and that's where the nerve comes out. So yeah, look elsewhere and see if you can improve. Or, you know, taking, I always talk about the birds on the wire, you know, that double crush syndrome. Is there somewhere else the nerve's getting compressed down the chain? Can you improve that? Which then relieves the symptoms up closer to the neck. We see that a lot as well. What do you think, Laura? I would just echo everything you said. And it really comes down to the treatment of the issue is similar to the kind of prehab prescription for the issue, which is making space and getting her into much as much of a neutral posture as possible with all the supportive structures. Because, you know, anytime anybody has that kind of degeneration in any part segment of the spine, there has been something's going on with their posture. I mean, this is why neutral spine and neutral pelvis neutral neck, so, so important because all those curves of the spine really end up, you know, stacking the spine nicely. It's so that obviously when we look at a body, it looks like the spine is straight, but from inside there are natural curves. If there's any segment that is exaggerated, that segment is so much more likely to have these things like this happen where, you know, you start getting wearing away, you start getting some degeneration, uh, you get the stenosis, disc, any, it all is coming from the same thing, which is some segment is off balanced. And so the treatment is similar. You'd want to try and get that balance back. It's not too late and you need it for certainly to relieve the symptoms that are now there. So I would do all the triple S stuff. I would use the wall. I would get a lot of feedback. Because what people don't realize is how much they can't register what is an optimal postural position when they haven't been in one. It's the brain just is like, you know, it's going on the road it knows. So you need a lot of feedback. And for the neck, I always like to get as much traction as possible. So, you know, getting a something, a block under the skull and getting some space between the skull and the um, first cervical vertebra. And then that area, C6, C7, is right before T1. So trying to get a little space in there, like Kristen said, get some more extension in the thoracic spine to free that up. So there's lots of... It's all very similar. And like Kristen said, I wouldn't just focus on the neck. I would look at how the neck... Because most likely, if her neck is involved, her low back is involved, look down the chain to her knees, how she's standing, I would look at the whole thing. And this is what's missing so significantly in, in the modern medical model is that, you know, someone, I, I just had someone the other day I was doing a private with, young, two ACL tears, and she has what we would call some knee valgus, which is where the knees kind of bow in a little bit and not significant at all. But her doctor said, there's really nothing you can do. At some point, you're going to need surgery. And I was like, what? 
right? Just looking at the knees and all I'm looking at is her pelvis. I'm like, this is coming from your pelvis. Let's reorganize here. Your knees are going to figure it out. This is not a dramatic valgus at all. But it's, you know, and that part of me makes, I'm really mad. And I, you know, my dad was an orthopedic surgeon. I bless his heart. I know he was amazing and he did look at globally, but I, now everything is very, very cookie cutter. You look at the hip, you look at the knee, you look at the shoulder and you have to look at the whole thing. So if you're going to a doctor, if you're going to a physical therapist, if you're going to a movement practitioner, one of the best ways to know if they are good at what they do really is listen to how they explain things. Are they looking at the entire body as a system? Because everything affects everything. Your foot could affect your neck. That is how connected we are. So that was a long answer to that question, but I hope that helps. All right, next question we have is from this person, Anna Klum. She asked, do you have different name and approaches for Kegel exercises? What do you recommend to prevent a dropped bladder? I've gotten so many pelvic health questions lately and there is so much to be said on this. So first of all, if you are in danger of having a dropped bladder, you need to go see a pelvic health specialist. If you're just worried about that possibility of happening, then that is, there, you know, there's people that have had six children that don't have that issue. There's people that have had two children that have had a drop. So it really, really depends person to person. Goes back to posture and mechanics, honestly. The pelvic bowl is no different above the pelvic bowl, below the pelvic bowl, as inside the pelvic bowl. What is the balance of the pelvis and the surrounding muscles? Because your resting standing posture, your, you know, your choice of posture is your starting position. So if you're tilted in the pelvis one way or another, usually anteriorly tilted, you're going to have a different pull on the muscles, a different motor firing on those muscles, and that will set up your breathing, that will set up your movement, and it will set up the upregulation and downregulation of your pelvic muscles. It's not just the pelvic floor. There's all the pelvic muscles in there. So Kegel exercises are a very small portion of that area. You know, there's, those are the muscles right around the urethra, like that whole, like pretend like you can't, you know, you need to go to the bathroom, but hold in. And I don't personally ever recommend Kegels. I think that they are, I would talk about the entire pelvic complex personally, but I'm not a pelvic floor specialist, but I, I feel like that's a real reductionist way of treating pelvic floor dysfunction when somebody has stress incontinence or some kind of in, you know incontinence due to, it doesn't have to be pregnancy, but a lot of times it'll be after pregnancy. And it's that everything needs to get reorganized. And um, so it's not just around you know, right around the urethra, but all the way back to the anus. You know, there's muscles, there's slings of muscles from pubic bone to, to the coccyx, from ischial tuberosity, from one sit bone to the other, and then everything in between. And they attach to the bowl of the pelvis, they attach to the sacrum. There's a huge webbing of attachments. So if you get all of those muscles well-balanced and strong, not hypertonic, not hypotonic, you're not going to have to worry about your bladder slipping out. (laughs) All right, it's going to be held in. There's a lot there to hold it in. What happens is if you have a weakening and then the, the bladder drops down, puts more pressure on it, then the muscles can't handle it and the sling gets stretched out. 
But that's that's going to take a while to get there, and there's many things you can do before then. The best thing you can do is work on your neutral pelvis, work on the surrounding muscles, getting core strong core, which is not overly strong. It's adaptable, and always consult a pelvic specialist. Do you have any other comments to that? I was just going to add that that it's to consult a pelvic specialist because to you know to your point, Kegels is such a small part of it. Kegels is very specific to a certain problem. And so, you know, and for the longest time, women have been told, just do Kegels, just do, I mean, people talk about Kegels probably since the fifties, you know, or the pelvic floor subspecialty has expanded so dramatically that, you know, you really need to figure out what is your dysfunction? You know, what, where is your imbalance and get specific exercises to treat that. And People get wonderful results. I mean, life-changing results, I think, with the right pelvic floor specialist. So keep doing your core, you know, that the core stuff that we do is fantastic, but it might not be prescriptive enough for what you need for a bladder issue or for a specific um, pelvic floor issue. So go see somebody would be my thing. Yeah. Absolutely. It's about finding that balance. And, you know, this the diaphragm is super connected to all this because it's really breaking you know it's the it's the beneath the rib cage all the way down to the pelvic floor so how your spine is you know the, again that posture how your spine is the the diaphragm is going to be pulled differently the pressure of the diaphragm into the pelvic floor is going to be pushed differently so learning how to breathe well learning how to again upregulate if i'm sitting in a chair i'm not sitting there squeezing everything and tightening and holding my breath but if i'm going to lift something heavy or move in a lot of different ways i'm going to have a different tone in all of those muscles and that is something you have to learn how to do and having a hands hands-on therapist can help tremendously so don't shy away from that there's again there's there is a huge subspecialty that has only blossomed more and more since we were in pt school so go get some help there. Well, these were great questions for today's podcast. If you ever want to have any of your questions on here, we would be happy to have them. You can always find me at laura.hyman on Instagram and Kristen at kbwilliams99. You can also write support at lityoga.com with any of your questions. We try to get to all of them because we really enjoy hearing what you have to say and responding as well as we can. All right. Thanks, KB. Always a pleasure. Yes. As always, we're pulling for you. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.